listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. To it. Hey, you can take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. The ushers are coming forward with Bibles and... and um, you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because I'd love for you to be able to not only hear the Word but see the Word. If you don't have a Bible at home uh, with you um, or a, a Bible of your own, please take that Bible home as the Lord's gift to you. And uh, we believe strongly in the Word of God. It is mighty. It is powerful. And um, you ever have one of those days where you just wonder why you do what you do and, um, and then you start dreaming of what your dream job would be? Uh, my dream job, uh, I think, would be cutting grass on a, uh, on a golf course. And, uh, and, and just, it just seems like make some nice straight lines, try to avoid those golfers that are going to try to hit you with the balls, and, and like good one when they, when they hit you, whatever that might be. Um, well, today was one of those mornings for me, and um, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and then as as the Lord would see fit, I was driving past the golf course on my way to church, and it was underwater. And even that would stink on a day like today. And so it's just like the Lord says, no, you're preaching. You're not going to apply for, uh, for that. And, and some days are like that. And, and, and there's that battle. And, and we know that there's a battle in our flesh. There's a battle in the spiritual realms that we face and we fight. There's a battle to come to church, even sometimes for the pastor. And, 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 and there can be for you, and, and especially if you have young kids or older kids or whatever it might be, or just an old grouch of a spouse, uh, whatever, it, it can just be a battle. I'm glad you are here today and that we can tune in together to God's Word, and I think there's an important message, but yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll decide that. You can decide uh, how this all plays out. I just desire to be faithful. We started this new series in the Gospel of Mark, and, and I saw early on that this message series isn't just simply for information and for us to be informed and inspired, but for us to be transformed. In order to be transformed, in order for there to be life, there is oftentimes there must be death, and there must be a death to our way, our ways of thinking, our flesh, and, and to our plans and our dreams, and to what does it mean to truly follow, as, as, as we just go back to the title slide, just the one before this, what does it mean to follow, to truly follow Jesus Christ, the servant king? What does that mean for us today in 2022? What does that mean? And, and, and so we are going through this, and, and I think we are going to be in for some big surprises as we work through this gospel. You see, Jesus did not come to just pad or to bless our designer, me-centered, me-focused, me-driven lives and lifestyles. He just isn't one of those options. I'm going to try Jesus under 500, Alex, um, you know, in, in the game of Jeopardy and just give it a shot. Well, I'll give Jesus a shot and see if that's going to improve my life. That is not what it's about. A genuine salvation. And today I, I, I struggle because normally at the end of uh, my prayer, I say, and, and you probably heard that, like, he's not right. And, and, and I've been battling all this week. Do we continue saying that? Because I, I, I say, um, and all God's people said, and, and what do you say? Amen. Yeah. And, and then we say, let's get to it. That's great. But, that, but all God's people, are we all God's people? And I don't want to make you assume, because I'm saying that you are, that you are. 
We need to examine our lives. And, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, and this is, this is an examination uh, verse even here. Colossians 1, verse 3, God, it says, God rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And to be truly saved, to be one of God's children, it means to follow the servant king. And it means a radical reorientation that is going to bump up against us. It's going to bump up against our flesh and our desires and our dreams. And it's going to mean saying yes to His call and to His purposes in our lives. And the Gospel of Mark, it's 16 chapters and it's fast-paced, it's rapid-fire, it's the story of Jesus Christ and it's kind of like a photo album and, and, and it's that photo album that you open up and, 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 and as, as you're opening it up, Mark points out that now this picture and he gives a little explanation of this picture. Here's what's happening in this picture and then he jumps over to another picture. This is what's happening in this picture and he explains that. And, and Mark completely, he kind of jumps through the life of Christ, totally skipping over the birth of Christ and, and some of the events surrounding that. And he jumps to the 30-year-old Jesus. That's where this book starts. And, and, and whose public ministry was just about getting ready to start. And here at the start of Jesus' ministry, it's a rather unique beginning, a rather unique start. And how oftentimes today, pastors are commissioned or installed at the start of a new ministry. And, and, and so, and, and some of this, we see this precedent in the, in the New Testament. We see it in the New Testament church. And we see Jesus being commissioned, but it's in a very unique way. For us as a church, eight years ago, this next September that is upcoming, as we were getting ready to launch this church after a year of prayer and preparations and training and getting all ready, a crew of us flew down to Oakville our sending church, the church that supported and encouraged and helped us in so many ways, to first of all pick up our supply trailer that they provided lovingly for us, filled with all kinds of supplies and, and, and what a gift that was for us. And on the weekend services, on the Saturday night and the two services that they had on Sunday morning, there was a commissioning for the work here in Kelowna. The elders laid hands on Charlotte and myself as the new work was about to officially begin. And, and, and that was a great weekend, and, and, and especially for, the, for, for most of us, we all flew home afterwards, but Tom and Pam, they jumped onto a uh, rented truck, and they drove the truck and the trailer back home to Kelowna. And uh, what a great start, what a great commissioning for our church and for me as a pastor to know that the elders, that, that there was these prayers being prayed, the, the church family there in Oakville joining together with the church family that was growing here in Kelowna to trust God for this new work. Well, for Jesus, his commission, his inauguration, if you want to call it, into ministry was quite a bit different. It didn't happen at, at, at the temple where you would think something like that would maybe take place. It happened in a rather strange place in the middle of nowhere with a very strange man, a relative of his, his second cousin, John the Baptist. Now follow along in verse 4 as we read here in, in Mark chapter 1. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps 
The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, we covered much of this last week, but I just want to cycle back to some truths here that that were just like, oh, this is so good and so important in setting up this gospel for us. And so out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, not even near a major highway, do we have this all-natural hipster, John the Baptist, with his big beard, with his long hair, his big leather belt, clothed with camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. And, And this odd, strange person here with Jesus... But in John the Baptist, we see something rather important. John the Baptist was a simple man proclaiming a life-changing message, a message of transformation. Now, rarely, and, and, and this is why I needed to cycle back to this, because the previous week and then again this week in the reading and the commentators and, and, and the books that I was looking at, they point out that it was very rare for a person's appearance and especially their clothing and their diet to be pointed out in this way. And I believe, and, and, and it would seem to make sense and, 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 and from my reading and my study this week, this, this is set here to show us the simplicity by which he lived the single-minded focus of his life. A simple life proclaiming a life-changing message. He wasn't getting caught up in all of the entrapments of life. He lived a consistent life that was, that was consistent with his message. And, and, and what was that message? It's time to turn to God. It's time to get right with God, to turn away from sin, to turn away from the distractions and the obsessions and the cares and the passions because Messiah, Savior, Jesus is coming. He is about to come. Get ready. Has the call changed? In in fact, it's intensified for us today. This is the time that he was being called And and calling the people, it's time to live all out, full out for God. And that same call exists today. He lived with a laser focus, even though he didn't have lasers back then. He lived with a laser focus on the gospel clarity by which he was called. He understood the times, he understood the conditions, and he understood the call of God on his life, and he made the necessary adjustments and lived his life accordingly. Now, for us to follow Jesus doesn't mean that um, we need to all grow beards, and grow our hair out. I mean, for uh, uh, Dwayne's upset with that, as I think he would want to keep that beard going and, and, and that. And, uh, and, and ladies, don't worry, you don't have to grow a beard either. Um, you, that's not what it's about. And it's not about a life devoted to health food, like locusts and wild honey. But what it does mean is, and maybe this is some of the rub, because this rubs up against us North American Christians. It is the simplicity that he lived by in the simplicity that the disciples later on, when Jesus called his disciples into the ministry and and as he was sending them out, he's like, don't take extra stuff with you. And and we get bogged down. We have have houses and storage units and garages and sheds and so much more than that filled with so much distraction in our lives. We all do. 
in one way or no, I'm a min- m- one of those min- min- minimalists. There we go. I can't even say the word because it's so far from it. Um, and, and yet, even that, we can be, become obsessed with and focused on and, 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 and not cause us to live with the laser-focused gospel clarity that we are to have. Now, to, for us to follow Jesus Christ means a radical reorientation that first starts with our heart. And, and, and as our heart has been turned, as our heart has been saved, as our heart has been regenerated, it's going to affect, it has to affect the way we live, the way we talk, the way we spend our time, our money. John MacArthur said this, read it this week, thought it was a timing meme that I saw. It's heretical to say that Jesus is my Savior and live your life the way that you want. That's just heresy to do that. Today we get caught up in so much money, careers, achievements, houses, cars, toys, possessions, our plans, our children. Needing to always upgrade or not upgrade your kids, although maybe you'd like to. Uh, but, but, but upgrading, you know, you know, our cars, our houses, our, our toys. Uh, we need to make a move. We need to renovate. We, we need to improve ourselves. We need to improve our bodies, our social status. We need to do all these things. And we're all so busy, busy, busy. It's rush, rush, rush. Or at least we think we are that busy. We race out of church week after week or, or maybe don't even come much or regularly and figure I'll just live stream or whatever it might be because we've got places to go, we've got things to do, or Sunday is my day of rest. So I'm just going to do all the other things I didn't get to on, 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 during the week and, and it's not restful at all. We're so busy because of sports and hobbies and workouts and hikes and movies and video games and, and, and all of these different pursuits and we can get so busy having, having even our kids involved and committed, overcommitted to so many things because we want them to live a well-balanced and we want them to live the life that maybe we never had. And so we busy them in all of these different things. And yet, when it comes to prioritizing spiritual instruction for our kids, for, for our youth in the home or in the church, that becomes optional and we don't have time for that. You see, if we don't take or make the time for God's word, even in our own lives, connecting with God in and through his word and in prayer daily, Right there, it's saying something about our heart and about our busyness. If we don't have time to roll up our sleeves and serve the Lord in various capacities, in various ways, and to serve others, serving the body of Christ regularly, it says something about our heart, about our priorities. And I'm so thankful. This morning, I got here late. I was... I, I, I usually get here around 8 o'clock, but there's a crew that is here around seven, before 7 o'clock. And I'm thankful for those who come and, and serve faithfully during the week in various ways and, and, and many times behind the scenes and in, in discipleship, on committees and in organizing and in, in tellering and in various things that there's so much activity. And then on Sundays and set up and take down and tech and worship and hospitality and kids ministry. Some people are here from 7 a.m. till 1 p.m. every Sunday. They are, and, 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 and it's not because they are special and for some reason God has granted them eight days in their week and, and, and 27 hours a day and so they have more time for that kind of stuff because I'm just too busy. No, it's because it's become a priority and oftentimes, and I trust and I, I pray that it's, it, it, it's not out of guilt, it's not out of obligation, it's out of a love because he is worthy. What a beautiful name as we are singing. 
What a beautiful name he is, and he is worthy, worthy as a lamb. And what he's done for us, there's nothing too great that, 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 that if he asks me and empowers and gifts and, 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 and gives me the opportunity to, to serve him and to serve the body of Christ and to serve in his kingdom, I'll take it. This is the radical readjustment that I believe is so necessary in our lives. You see, our lives and our lips and our priorities and our time and our finances, it's all declaring a message. Oh, that we would declare like John the Baptist that our lives, we're desiring to live a simple life with a laser-focused mission and message that we have been given. Because Jesus has commissioned us with that same calling that he put on John the Baptist to prepare people to meet the king, to prepare people for Messiah's return. I like the words of the old Casting Crown song, and it ends like this, May the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing to you. Would our life song in what we say and we do and in all that we do, would it make much of Jesus and bring him glory? Oh, I believe and I trust and I pray that that would just become more and more the heart of every one of us here at Hope. May we learn from John the Baptist a simple life, proclaiming a life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Would that be the mission that we've been given? Follower of Christ, for us, this is our call. This is the call that we've been given. To live a simple life, proclaiming a life-changing message. First of all, proclaiming that message to ourselves and then to others. To repent, to turn away from our ways, from turn from sin, and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, and then from there start following King Jesus. It says in verse 4, you can look at there, it says that John the Baptist was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, repentance, in, in some churches, seriously, in some churches in our city today, in our nation, the word repentance is a dirty word, and you don't use it. But no, repentance is a life-giving word. Repentance is about a change of heart that leads to a change of mind, that leads to a change of direction. And, and we see the crowds coming to John the Baptist. And, and the crowds are massive. And upon hearing his message and his call to repent, they humble themselves, confessing their sins, admitting, yes, I'm missing the mark. Yes, I'm living for myself. Yes, I need to surrender everything to God. And to demonstrate the seriousness of that, they were baptized, which was an incredibly radical step, especially for the Jews that were coming out there. And many of the people, most of them that would have been coming to hear John the Baptist would have been Jewish, would have been, um, Jewish people from the nation of Israel. Now, now, the Jews had various ceremonial cleansing and washings that they would have, but a full immersion baptism, that was only for those <laughs> Gentiles, those Gentile dogs. Um, oftentimes Jews referred to them as, uh, when, when they wanted to become a, a, a worshiper of the true God and convert to Judaism, then they would have to go under a full immersion baptism. That's the only time we see that in the Old Testament. That, that's when the instructions are given. But here we have people being baptized as a, as a step of humility, just declaring that this inward desire in their heart is that they were sick and tired of being sick and tired, living in their areas of sin, this emptiness, this religion, just, just the difficultness, difficulty in their lives, in their families, in their marriages, and saying, I need God's help. 
This was a desperate declaration. God, I need your help. This was a baptism also too of anticipation and preparation for God's Messiah. Clearing the way. Getting their hearts ready for Jesus to come. And people were coming in droves. In verse 5 it says, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were coming. I don't know if that's a slight exaggeration and just like, you know, just saying like big crowds. One commentator I was reading this past week estimated that, there, that John would have baptized upwhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 people. Do you imagine? I mean, talk about a built arm he would have, you know, like just, whoa, whoa, you're a big one, you know, like, whoa, you know, ooh, you're an easy one, you know, and, and, and just like, I mean, one after the other, it's just like going, right? There's a lot of baptizing going on. And, and this was going on for about six months, and then suddenly this happens. Suddenly you have this incredible moment. Suddenly we have Jesus in the water. And it's so amazing as we're going to see two places where Jesus shows up, where Jesus comes and he stands. And he is standing in these areas today. And oh, that we would stand together with him as God's people. We see Jesus in the water, something incredible taking place. Verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, Jesus' baptism was not only the beginning, in a sense, the inauguration of his earthly ministry, it was also the beginning of his humiliation. As God the Son, and identifying with sinful humanity. Jesus' baptism was not because he was sinful. Jesus didn't confess anything. He didn't repent. He didn't need to. He, 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 he had never sinned. But Jesus was baptized and in doing so, entered the waters and, and, and did what the people were doing and, 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 and did what he then calls us today to do is to then be baptized as a way of identifying. He came and he was baptized to identify with sinful humanity. Today we are baptized to identify with the risen and victorious Son of God. His baptism also pointed. It gave the picture to the people of what was to come. It pointed forward to His death. As Jesus would be plunged under the water, it would be a picture of His death. But then as He would be brought back up, it was also a beautiful picture, a foreshadowing of His resurrection. And that is a beautiful symbol and, and reminder of what baptism was then for Jesus and what it is for us. And then in verse 10, we come to this beautiful Trinitarian passage. Beautiful where we see God the Father. We see God the Son. We, have, we see God the Holy Spirit in full display. And it is something beautiful to be able to see. And, and, and here it says, um, and, and here it is in the water as this is taking place. And we see the Trinity of God it revealed to us, it reveals Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Jesus in the water is now being revealed as the Son of God. Verse 10, and it says, When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Wow. Oh, could you imagine being there? Oh. I mean, this was so public. This wasn't a nice little private little ceremony between John the Baptist and, 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 uh, and Jesus. 
No, this was for all to see. Crowds probably on either side of the riverbank. Watching this and seeing this. Luke's gospel records the words from heaven being this. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This guy has some authority. This guy has some clout. He's my guy. He's got it. That's what God the Father is saying. And, 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 and just also to you, just see the joy that there is. This is my beloved son. This is the son who I'm crazy about. This is my one and only son. I'm so pleased with him. And he's declaring. He's showing this. And here is Jesus coming with all the authority of heaven. Anyone familiar with ancient writings, and, and even for us, this is why understanding and reading and immersing ourselves in the Word of God, not just in the New Testament, because that's all the good stories, and, 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 and it's all about Jesus. No, in the Old Testament, in understanding, reading, getting to know the Word of God. And if you just think that 45 minutes, okay, sometimes a little bit more, odd time, a little bit less, that long of a sermon is going to cause you to grow into spiritual maturity once a week. You're fooling yourself. There is something so important, so vital about studying, reading, immersing ourselves in the Word of God. And anyone who, who, who in those days, they, the Jewish people especially, they knew the Word of God. They knew it well. And, and them just seeing this, and even for us, in, in seeing the passages in the Old Testament that this pointed to, just made this even much more of an incredible scene. Because for centuries before this, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God this, this was all promised that this would happen in Isaiah in the 40s chapter and in the 50s chapter. It's all about the promised Messiah. And then when we get to Isaiah 64, we, we hear the cry of the prophet. And, and, and Isaiah the prophet is like, oh, that you would just rip the heavens and come down. And right now, right here, it's happening. God opens the heavens and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. Scripture is being fulfilled before their very eyes. But we also see as Jesus is in the water, we see the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life. Yes, we have the affirmation of God the Father. This is my son. We have the anointing by God the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, it says, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. This isn't the Spirit crashing down on him. And notice it, it, it doesn't say descended as a dove, it said like a dove. And doves were used, and, and, and so we don't know exactly what it looks like, but whatever, however it descended, the Holy Spirit, or however he descended, he's a person, he descended there on that day, we know that he did so like a dove. In, and, and doves are incredibly gentle birds. And the Holy Spirit comes down lightly and delicately and rests in its place there with Jesus. And again, this is confirmation of Old Testament prophecy. Listen in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, and it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord... This is what would rest upon Messiah. This is what promised and this is what took place on that day. And believer in Jesus Christ, you know what? The amazing thing is that if we are now in Christ because of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is then given to us 
as a seal, as a mark, as a person in our lives. The Spirit of Jesus is within us, and the Spirit of God shall rest upon you, giving us wisdom and understanding and, and giving counsel and might. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that, that it's not a fear of the Lord, it's a reverence, it's an awe of the Lord that drives us to want to worship and love and surrender and sacrifice and to follow Him because of who He is. I love the way John Piper sums this all up so well. He says this, when Jesus was baptized along with all the repenting people who wanted to be on God's side, it was as though the commander-in-chief had come to the front lines, fastened his bayonet, strapped on his helmet, and jumped into into the trench along with the rest of us. And when he did that, his Father in heaven, who had sent him for this very combat, signified with the appearance of a dove that the Holy Spirit would be with him in the battles to come. Isn't that good? Jesus in the water. We see this commissioning. We see the inauguration. We see the start of, of, this, of his ministry, but it was the declaration and getting ready for the new kingdom. This new kingdom would bring a new era of salvation and blessing and peace and order to the world. You say, well, that hasn't really happened. Look at what's going on. No, because his, his kingdom isn't one of buildings and kings and palaces. It's him being the king and the ruler on the throne of our lives and giving us the power and the strength as well as the peace in a broken and messed up world. And this all starts in the human heart. And it will not stop. His kingdom will not stop. And His kingdom is a coming. When Satan one day will be 100% totally defeated once and for all, forever with his demons and all the evil. And Jesus will one day reign in the new heavens and the new earth as the eternal king. But that day hasn't come yet, but it doesn't mean that we, that, that we have to live in, in loss and, 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 and as losers as we go through this life. No, it means we can still rest in the victory and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Next, though, we see, so we see Jesus in, in the water and we see this special moment, but now we see Jesus in the wilderness. Look at in verse 12, the Spirit immediately, you know how so oftentimes after a spiritual high, and, 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 and if you've been in church, if you've been to camp, if you've been to a concert at times or a special event, like you just get so impacted by the Lord and you're just on this spiritual high. Sometimes that happens at, at the time of our baptism where it's just like, you know, just, just sensing like just the Lord's presence and, 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 and we're honoring and glorifying Him in that way and, and we experience the spiritual high and then boom, what happens? Spiritual attack. You talk to most pastors Sunday afternoon and into Monday are just like, ah! you know, like I wanted to quit this morning. You should see how, how strong it is Sunday afternoons and, and, and into, because when, when, when God's at work, we also know that the enemy is going to fight and when God is at work, in our lives, and we're saying yes to him. Get ready for combat. Don't, don't think it's going to be just, you know, me and Jesus the rest of my life, and it's going to, no, 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 that's not it at all. It's battle. It's a warfare. And this is why we see this. Jesus being commissioned, empowered by the Holy Spirit, mighty Jesus. What happens immediately? 
We'll continue. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. It says, immediately driven by the Holy Spirit. For 40 days, tempted by the devil. Right out of the gates. The first work that he needed to participate in, his first assignment was a necessary battle. This was a declaration of war. It was Jesus declaring, there's a new sheriff in town. Get ready. There's a new sheriff here on this earth. There's a new king. Right out of the gates we see this declaration of war. This was the Holy Spirit driving him out there to the very place. Think about this. He goes out into the wilderness, the very place where Israel failed as a nation in rebellion they feel in defeat and experience 40 years of wandering. Jesus goes 40 days. Not in sweet communion with his heavenly father. Not this sweet communion only between Jesus, his heavenly father, and then a little temptation thrown on at the end. Mark tells us this was a 40-day fight. And as the days went along, Jesus became more and more weak. He was worn down. He was weak physically because he went without food. He was praying. He was fasting. He was set aside just the unnecessary distractions. And for him in this, food was that unnecessary distraction. He didn't need that. And yet, it, he's no doubt getting worn down physically. He's dealing with wild animals. The wilderness in these regions were known, and especially at night, to watch out for what's ever happening. There's wild animals. You better stay alert. You better stay awake. Lately, it seems our neighborhood has been overrun by coyotes. We've had some in our backyard. I think they're looking for a little cat meat because um, and, and, probably can smell our cat that goes outside on a leash in the backyard. And, uh, and, and uh, we've had the, the coyote be from about me to where just second, third row here um, in our backyard. And then one night, early in the morning, it was like 4.30, we hear this noise out on the street. This was a couple weeks ago. Just wild noise. And we're like, are those a bunch of kids just screaming and just having a good time? Like what? Or some cats? Or We didn't know what it was and got up and looked. And, and there was a coyote running down the street and howling away. And, and down the street were two more just waiting for it. And they were like a gang. And it was just like, I'm, I'm sure they were saying, we own the streets on Cobble. You know, and uh, well, maybe they weren't. But, uh, but it's it just like, oh, that's so eerie. It's just so weird. And then you hear them, oh, and, and make it all this noise. Well, for Jesus, here in the wilderness, this was serious stuff. This was the wild animals, the wild beasts that he's dealing with. He's dealing with physical weakness. And then we also see that he was facing the ultimate foe. He was facing the devil himself. The wilderness was notorious for being a place of great danger, and for Jesus, alert was crucial. Wild beasts, the outdoor elements, no food, the aloneness, the alienation, the opposition, the antagonism that, that, that then started and continued with the devil himself. And Jesus is experiencing in these 40 days what it means to live in this fallen world. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that he was tempted in every way that we have been tempted and yet it went without sin. And no doubt the, the, so many of those temptations that he faced that we faced is what he experienced those 40 days. And yet God honors his obedience and, and, and says sends angels to minister to him. But one of Satan's key goals when he was coming hard after him was to get Jesus not to suffer. For Jesus to be comfortable. 
Jesus, eat. Jesus, just enjoy the throne. Jesus, just, just, just seek power here on this earth and, 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 and just wanted him to be comfortable because he knew that the suffering and the death of Jesus followed by the resurrection would result in his doom and destruction. And he knew that it would mean salvation for you and for me. And so he tried to lure Jesus in with comfort. How oftentimes are we lured into the comfort of life rather than at times engaging in the battles that we are to, 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 to wage in? Whether it's standing and speaking up in the workplace or with our family. Whether it's taking on certain uh, opportunities to minister that is going to challenge us. No, we just want comfort. The enemy loves to throw the comfort button our way. And in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4, we see how Jesus used God's word to defeat the onslaughts of the devil. It was a powerful weapon for Jesus. Don't you think it was a powerful weapon for Jesus to fight off the attacks of Satan? It's a powerful weapon for us. That's why we need to know the word of God. And he had verses to coincide with those temptations and how we talk about having our scripture tool belt to have those, th- those working verses in our lives, on our phones, in our minds, even more importantly, having them in our journals that we are able to just declare God's living and powerful word over our lives, over our families, over the situations, over the temptations as they come. For Jesus, this was just round one. This was just round one where he experienced the victory. Satan was going to continue to keep coming at him. We'll see that throughout this book. But we see how Jesus won the victory. The war in the wilderness was not the end, but it showed, showed how Jesus and shows how you and I can experience victory over temptation. Jesus in the water, Jesus in the wilderness. This is the story of good news. This is the story of, of, of Jesus coming into this world, into this fallen, disintegrating mess. And what does he do? He identifies. He becomes one of us. And he came not only to forgive us. He identifies with us. He came to forgive us. But then he enters the wilderness in this world. He enters the wilderness of our lives. And he stands there with us and for us. He bore the full weight and force of sin and temptation so that we could experience forgiveness and power. May we live in that forgiveness. May we live in the power that has been supplied to us because of Jesus' victory in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. As mentioned earlier, what John was doing in the Jordan River was amazing. As I said, baptizing around 300,000 people. This seemed like a massive revival. Huge revival taking place. But folks, we can never, let, let's never get confused by the crowds. Because crowds can be fickle, right? Crowds can be incredibly fickle. Because three years later, how many were standing with Jesus at the foot of the cross? Even after his resurrection and his ascension, how many were there in the upper room? 120. 120 after all the work and after all the ministry of Jesus. And it can be so easy for us to respond in emotion 
respond to a passionate speaker or preacher. It's easy to, to follow the crowd. It's easy to get excited even about Jesus for a time, for a season, especially if we think that he might give us what we want, and especially if we think, hey, he's, he's kind of my ticket to heaven, so I should probably go along with this because I, I, don't, I, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, and this is what I have to do, so I'll do this. You see, John's baptism was unto repentance, as it tells us here. It was merely symbolized by willingness to live a godly life, but it provided no power for the people. It was just a declaration. It was just getting them ready. But there was no power in it. It was just going to, for them to be gritting it out in their own power, in their own strength, their own discipline. And for all of us, we have a limited shelf life when it comes to our strength, our power, our discipline. It all has a limited short shelf life for them as well as for us. But the work, the power of God is based on a regenerated heart that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, when we repent and we truly surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, trusting and believing that His sacrifice on the cross was for me, it was God in my place. God's Word says that when we are saved, when that declaration of desperation takes place in our hearts and we receive Him as Lord and Savior and receive the free gift of salvation. We have then, we receive the promise of His Holy Spirit as a mark, as a seal, as a person that we have within us and, and sets us with new desires and not just new desires but new power to live a godly life, and daily how we then need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's daily, I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you to fill me. I need you to fill me anew and afresh this day because the power, the strength leaks out of me and I'm, I, 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 I struggle with my flesh. I struggle with temptation. How I need you. Acts 1.8, Jesus gave that promise. He says that His Holy Spirit will come upon you as His followers. And you will be, be his witnesses. Live that single-minded. Be his witnesses. What is the Holy Spirit power and strength for us to give us power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Going in the power of the Holy Spirit. That group of 120, that teeny little group in the upper room, they would turn this world upside down because they weren't going in their power. You can have 300,000 people getting baptized in their own power, their own strength, nothing regenerated yet in them. And what do we start to see? That group of 120, one sermon gets preached, 3,000 are saved, 5,000 are saved. And we see this movement of people in the power of the Holy Spirit turning Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth upside down with the gospel. That work continues today, Hope Kelowna. That, hope that work continues today, believer in Jesus Christ. So how do we live what we learn? I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm just going to ask you a few questions here. And, and it's vital that we examine our lives, because it's one thing to hear this, but now it's like, okay, let's put, let's put, the, let's put the shoes on. Let, let, let's... How is my obedience... 
How is my obedience in the water? Jesus, he went into the water because of obedience, to come at the will of his Father. Am I obeying what the Holy Spirit has been placing on my heart? Jesus entered the water to identify with us. Have you identified with Jesus by first of all repenting of your sin and trusting him as your Lord and Savior? Four years ago, right about, just, just nicely four years ago, I went to Moldova and to Romania and was part of just helping to encourage some of our network churches there. And one thing I really uh, that noticed that really stuck out in conversation with people when they, when they would, and, and I was asked this numerous times, and then I would hear them talk about it with others. They never talked about, when did you get saved? Hey, when did you pray the prayer? Hey, when did you receive Christ? They never used language like that. I, I love what they said instead. They said, when did you repent? When did you repent? When did you turn from your way and turned to Jesus? When, when did you have that change of heart that has led to a change of mind that has led to that change of direction in your life? Have you repented? And if so, have you been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you identified with Jesus Christ, the servant king? If not, if you haven't been baptized as a believer, you've got to stop the excuses. You just do. And follow him and be obedient. Who's, but it, but it's, I can't speak or it's humbling or what do my parents think? Or, no, what does God say? And what does God desire for us? To be obedient to him. And the excuses you're holding on to, they don't cut it. They just don't. And if you're needing to get baptized and we're going to be having one upcoming shortly, Early in July, talk to myself, talk to Brett, talk to one of our elders, leaders, fill out a connection card and we'll walk with you in this. But you need, that's the next step for you. And today if you're here and you've repented and you've been baptized, how is your life of obedience and surrender? Is it continuing into this season that you're in in your life? Is it marked with gospel fruitfulness? Is there a gospel fruitfulness in keeping with repentance? Are we becoming more and more like Christ? Are we becoming more grumpy and crotchety and angry? Are you living and walking and resting and trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to guard and to guide your life? Are you living out God's mission for you? That's Jesus in the water, but how about in the wilderness? How is my fight going in the wilderness? We all faced and will face again this next week. We will face temptation. And Jesus came and he stood in the water. He stood in then in the wilderness. And in him and him alone, where we find forgiveness. And, 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 and in that power of forgiveness and in the regenerated heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's power to say no to temptation. But are we availing ourselves of that power? Are we just going on our own self-discipline because that's going to run out? In those moments when we are mistreated, when we're disrespected, when the lure of the ways of this world, some of you might even be planning your divorce right now. You just might. You just might say, I have an impossible spouse. Well, then you haven't put your faith and your trust in the sovereign, almighty, supernatural God who can work, first of all, in you and in your marriage. I don't know why I said that, but I... 
Are we living in that power? In the way that Christ gave the example in Jesus Christ to face temptation and to win over it, he gives us that power. And by using his word, the graces he's given to us in his word, with his people walking alongside of us, and through his spirit, we can win. My Messiah has defeated the enemy on my behalf and I will stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and I can and I will say no to temptation and to sin. God, I pray that even now that you would help us to see your goodness, to see your love, to see your mercy and to see your grace and in those situations that perhaps... Brothers and sisters, that we're walking in even today, oh God, I pray that we would see your grace. We would see a Jesus who came and stood in the water and says, hey, I'm one of you. I'm here with you. He knows the pain. He knows the abuse. He knows the hurt that we have faced or are facing. And yet he is there saying, I'm with you, child. I love you. But then he also stood in the wilderness showing us the power and the authority that he had and that he now has given to us to withstand the attacks and the threats and the temptations that will come our way. We are not left alone in this world. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you to rescue us daily from, first of all, ourselves and from all the pressures and the stresses that are there. May we stand in the forgiveness and victory that you provided in your Son. And would we declare even now and celebrate all that you have done. May we commit to declare and celebrate this week by choosing to live all out for you in the water, in the wilderness. As we worship you, even now, Lord, I pray that you would do a good work in our lives. And, and, and as we worship here, the prayer partners are going to come. They're going to be standing right here at the front during the song or right after the service. They would love to be able to pray for you and with you. They're not counseling sessions. They're just brothers and sisters that are here to love and to pray for you and with you. Take advantage of that. I encourage you and the rest. Let's worship the Lord together now and let's stand together.